Hello and welcome to another episode of Triassic Park, the podcast exploring every dinosaur, fantasy, mythological, and giant slaying movie made before the classic Jurassic Park. I'm not joined alone today, I'm also joined with Jason. Hello, Jason. Oh, I'm phenomenal. After what I've just witnessed, nothing could stop me from enjoying life. Awesome, great. I cannot wait to talk about this with you. So let us go back to the year 1958. The year of our Lord. The year of our Lord, where the most influential adventure movie ever made gets released to cinemas, taking the world by storm with a low budget but huge profit margins. That's right, we're talking about The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. It made an indelible mark on cinema history, inspiring leagues of future filmmakers as Ray Harryhausen unleashed his dynamation in color for the first time. This is not what we're talking about today, because our story takes place four years later, in 1962, when director Nathan R. Durand, lead actor Curran Matthews, and even the villain of Sinbad, Torrin Thatcher, reteamed to make an adventure film with all of the elements of the seventh voyage of Sinbad. Well, not quite all of the elements, there was something missing, something major. Ray Harryhausen. Today, we are talking about Jack the Giant Killer. Jack the Giant Killer is more than just a similar film to Voyage. It's a straight-up ripoff, and in many cases, it's actually called the very first mockbuster ever created, featuring uh, which pro- is not really true, but featuring special effects creations that are filmed in the exact same style with oftentimes the exact same design as Harryhausen's own puppets. This is an entry in what I'm deeming Harry Howe-sploitation, coined by me, and is going to start an entire series for this podcast. For the next four months, we will be watching multiple films in conjunction, one featuring stop-motion effects aping Ray Harryhausen, and the other featuring work by the master himself. Jack the Giant Killer has a robust creative team. Unlike Ray Harryhausen, who did all of the effects, and all of the sculpting, Jack features a huge array of credited creatives. Augie Lohman, he's credited with special effects. However, it doesn't really seem like he had much to do with the stop-motion portion of the effects. Uh, I say that as the sheer amount of other forces at play in this film have all dedicated stop-motion credits to their name, and the commentary by Tim Lucas uh, seems to pretty much uh, concur with everything that I'm kind of thinking. Uh, Lloyd Vaughn is another credited effects man whose main expertise appears to be in more classical forms of animation, as he has a huge backlog of work in conventional TV animation and a lot of work with Disney. In the corner of stop-motion animators, you have Star Trek effects maestro Howard A. Anderson and his company, And he teamed up and he went to a group called Project Unlimited to do all of the stop motion effects. Project Unlimited had just done all of the effects for George Powell's time machine two years earlier and made a huge splash. More important to this podcast, however, is nearly all of them worked as a part of the movie Dinosaurus, which was also from 1960. So we have names like Wah Chang, Tim Barr, 
Gene Warren, Tom Holland. No, not that Tom Holland. No, not that other person also named Tom Holland in Hollywood. We're talking about a different person. David Powell and Phil Kellison. Although the most famous member of the effects team and someone who will appear on this show many, many more times is Jim Danforth. Jim Danforth uh, got his start on the time machine, although it doesn't appear like he had anything to do with Dinosaurus. At least he's not credited. Uh, Danforth animated a number of films that we'll talk about uh, in this four-month journey, and he even worked with Ray Harryhausen himself for Harryhausen's final effects picture, Clash of the Titans, from 1980. Danforth did nearly all of the work for Pegasus in that movie. Uh, We'll go into Jim Danforth in a future date because um, there's a lot to talk about in this movie. Mainly the fact that there's a musical version. Yeah, and it's incredibly weird. For some background, there are a number of myths in regard to this movie, at least according to commentator Tim Lucas. Uh, He did the commentary for the Kino Lorber Blu-ray. Online, you'll pretty much, even in the Wikipedia, and it's not cited in the Wikipedia article, mind you, because I did look for that, uh, you will find everyone saying that basically the production company from Seventh Voyage of Sinbad threatened to sue this movie which led it to being shelved or pretty much hidden to prevent a lawsuit. However, the commentary refutes this, and it actually refutes this using an old article from Cinefantastique magazine. And these articles that he talks about, they paint a very different picture. One one where producer Edward Small and distributor United Artists both thought that they had a big hit on their hands. As such, United Artists wanted to buy Small's shares and get all the profit from the film. Small, also thinking that he had a hit on his hand, he wasn't going to sell it. So United Artists, they did the bare minimum. They put it out in a small run. They didn't give any, uh, you know, any push, no marketing for it, so that it would flop. And then hopefully Small would just, they could then buy the rights from Small and do a bigger release. The film that has a lot of features uh, towards an A picture, uh, there was a lot of money spent making this movie. And especially when you get into the effects work, you can tell there was a lot of money spent. Um, It went, unfortunately, to a B picture. It was basically uh, partnered up with many second... It was like pretty much a second run and a lot of double features uh, in the early 60s and to the 70s matinee. Uh, Small did not want to uh, sell, so it kind of stuck with this until somehow, we're not really sure, there's some conjecture that maybe after Small's death that he sold the rights back to United Artists, unclear, but regardless, in 1976, a new version of the film surfaced, this one featuring musical numbers. This is the weird, uh, we'll talk about this. This version of the film was overseen by a man who I swear to God, this is his real name, Moose Charlap. Okay, he did the music for a Peter Pan TV movie and has a number of like TV credits and such on IMDb. This is not something he's credited with. You don't, unless you watch the musical version, because the musical version has an entirely different line of credits and a whole different opening credit scheme. Uh, That's where you get all the information that he was involved and what he did and everything like that. And you can find it in his variety obituary. But as far as being credited on IMDb, 
this is another feature where it pays to buy the Blu-ray and listen to the commentary as uh, online. A lot of misinformation about this movie or things are just omitted. Uh, eventually, this version of the film kind of got forgotten through time, but it hit Kim cable syndication in 1984, and if you saw this film on TV back in the day, this is most likely the version of the movie you saw. The musical version is wild. There's weird zoom-ins, they repeat shots, and they slow down shots in order to stretch out what would be a normal scene into something that they can fit a musical number with. Some of the songs are catching up on their own, but the film nearly gets completely butchered from an editing and tonal standpoint. Running four minutes shorter than the original film, the only really detailed information on the musical version you can find is an article by the guy who did the commentary. So clearly, pretty much Tim Lucas is the master of this. And luckily, it is uh, available. Uh, well, luckily is an interesting term to say, but it's available. It, it exists. It's a bizarre cultural artifact that exists. There are eight new compositions made. Uh, not Again, not a whole lot of information on that, but we will talk about that later. Uh, now we get on to the dinosaur breakdown, which is a little bit difficult for this film because I call some shenanigans. So the commentary refers to the final appearance of Pendragon as a griffin. Although he doesn't really resemble what? the... Con- yeah, he doesn't look anything like a griffin. He's a dragon. Uh, He's a pen well, dragon. Well, we'll talk about this. A classic griffin appears in a future Sinbad movie. So I'm going to save an exploration of griffins for that film because that griffin looks a lot more like griffin should. Instead, the final battle appears to feature a wyvern as opposed mm-hmm. to a dragon. Sure. Jason, do you know the difference? Um, I believe, um, oh, yes, I do know this. Um, a a wyvern's smaller, right? Um, no, and a wyvern's a wyver- got two legs and a dragon's got four, I think. Yeah, that's really the only difference is the amount okay. of legs they have. Um, and so basically, um, the wyverns nowadays are just, you just see them on, like, old emblems and, you know, the occasional sports team or their logo for something. Um, is that how it's pronounced? Is where I've always pronounced it wyvern. Hey, you know what? Not sure. I think it's. I. Th- I think I heard wyvern one way, but who knows? Like you never know as far as media goes as to okay. who's actually pronouncing it properly. Yeah. Uh, their, their folklore kind of seems to mound and kind of mold in with the depiction of dragons. So instead of trying to deliver some historical nonsense, let's go to the nerds' classic mythological bible. Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yes, yes. In D&D, Wyverns do not breathe fire, which goes along with the final battle of this movie, as Pendragon does not unleash any flame during their battle. Instead of flame, they can use stingers on the back of their tails, which can poison their targets. The stinger appears unique to the D&D version, as in pop culture, they usually just are basic dragons with two legs. Um, they can speak, if you know the language of the dragons. Uh, but for the first part, they do not seem like fun enemies to encounter, and I really hope me doing this research does not somehow get my DM to put them in my current campaign. But yes, there is a bevy of information to talk about with this film, Jason. What did you think of this movie, first and foremost? 
first of all, um, I did not know about the musical version of this. I really want to watch this. I'm really hoping Pendragon sings It's Raining Men at some point during the musical. No. So what happens is there's uh, what's what are some Pend- Pendragon? There is a weird is a jaunty. Song? There's a weird jaunty musical number when they're summoning those like uh, got like you know when he's got the dragon he takes the teeth off the statue throws it down and like the statue the, those weird statue guys appear the arms and then he has oh, to, oh no no at the beginning you mean at the begin- when they first land on the island you mean yeah arms. and then yeah, he yeah, and okay. then he has to get like the Castlevania he whip calls and just start whipping dragon warriors I think yeah I I some 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 weird D and D nonsense but he he starts singing like a really jaunty tune he's like That's they amazing. have no chance Does against it, us we will kill Does the leprechaun them. have a song a rhyming song yeah uh, oh yeah oh yeah I have he, to watch this this is he, so, it's the weirdest. They they put in songs where there definitely should not be songs. So there is a point on the boat. Well, any of this when, movie shouldn't have any songs. Well, no, so, none of this movie should have songs. But there's a point in the movie where they have just I I they just got on the boat. They're heading to send her to the convent with the nuns, and she <laughs> has this moment where she's talking about how much uh you know how much she's like bummed to be with all these nuns, and she really wants to yeah. like get it on. With with uh, Sinbad, I mean Jack, and um, there's a moment where she's just like, "I love you." Like they have like some little exchange. Jack, and Jack, th- that smooth motherfucker. Jack is like, "I would uh, travel across the country and search every farm till I found you, my sweet baby." Yeah, and, and then, then uh, they go up and hump at the top of the you know boat. Basically, uh, they they that is like a, a thirty second scene. Really, they stretch it out to a minute and a half because they oh. just keep doing the same shots over and over again. Awesome. With, but they're supposed to be singing to each other, and like at some points they like zoom it in slightly in a weird way to like make it look like yo, it's not the same shot. We didn't just repeat the same shot five times, so and you're like. What is happening here? Anyway, yeah, sorry. So what? they got the actors to come back and sing the songs? Or oh, God, no. No, 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 so, no. No, no, no. These are entirely different voices. Entirely different voices. And so they do not sound over them anything talking, alike. Though, I guess is what I don't understand. Like, So their mouths are moving like they're talking and they just dub voices over it? Yeah, but they sometimes they also have the dialogue in it. So, like, there's one point where, like, Pendragon's assistant, uh, Fuckboy Goblin, he, he comes back. <laughs> Eagle, and yeah. he Fuckboy yeah, and yeah. yeah, exactly. And he goes, we failed you, we failed you, we failed you. And then they just like, he he sings the lines that he says about his gotcha. failure. Gotcha. It's it's bizarre. But but we'll get into that. What okay, did you sorry. think of the movie as it was? Well, I know this is a rip, app, rip off of Sinbad, which I've seen before. Um, it's obvious, right? Like, if you've ever seen that movie. Um, but I have to say, like, I really enjoyed every minute of this film. Like, I just thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I thought it was sort of stupid, um, but because you have, like, those, uh, incredibly imaginative, like, Harryhausen, um, um, models, right? Like, some of these characters are just so, or some of these creatures are just so fun to look at. Like, even when they're silly looking, like, the witches are fucking great. Um. Those witches are so cool, man. Like, yeah, they really are. So- so um, the, the scene where they where they show up and they land on the boat and they're all done in that like Fanta weird scoping and like yeah. uh, they have I forget what it's called when you like overlay animation effects on there oh, uh, optical I, I think it's optical yeah but it's yeah weird how they do it 
this shot's well, really weird. Um, well, so the reason they did that is because it's pretty much a straight off reference to Darby O'Gill and the Little People, mm, which is okay. the, which yeah. was a Disney movie made around the same time. And the shots cost an extra fifty thousand dollars to film on the, into the budget because they originally were just gonna have them like normal show up, like just as they do in the rest of the movie. And apparently, like Edward Small, like got to set, he saw the footage, and he's like, "Why are they not transparent? These don't look Killing anything like ghosts. Smalls. What the fuck Killing is this?" And he got like really mad. So they hired a bunch of Disney animators to like come in and like pretty much replicate the Darby O'Gill and the Little People effects. Um, yeah, I mean, I, um, this doesn't follow, this, this is really weird, because it really doesn't follow the Jack and the Giant Slayer no. story at all. Um, who had, who's Arthur is in, by the way, like, that story, right? Like, um, which is really weird why they chose, Pendragon's Arthur's last name. Um, yeah, King Arthur, that's weird. Right? So I don't know why they pulled that to name the bad guy. One of the things I love about these films, though, is that everyone looks like such crap. Um, because it's just so old, right? That, like, villains look genuinely terrifying. Like, when he walked into the kingdom, um, Pendragon, I nearly crapped my pants. He's terrifying looking. Um, and then that fucking, like, box with that crazy puppet is horrifying. Oh, yeah. I was scared out of my wits as a grown man watching this basically kids movie. Um, with this weird dancing puppet. It was horrifying looking. Um, I think there's some, like, legit uh, thrills in this movie. Like, it's a very... It's like, there's a lot of... Andrew, I think it's good. I I agree. I wasn't, like, so I'm not... So, I just was giving the history there, right? Like, I wasn't, like, trying to give my opinion. Like, the people call it the original Mockbuster and and, and whatever. But I I do think, and the the commentary, again, it's a great commentary because it it dispels a lot of misinformation that's out there about this movie. Uh, But on the commentary, he's like, look, this... Yes, it's a ripoff, but it also does some things better. So yeah. uh, he he points out that uh, for for a fact that um, so there's like the imp guy, the guy who grants wishes. He oh, is yeah. pretty much he's a like a, yeah, yeah, he's like yeah. I think he's credited as an imp, whatever. Ep, le, he is a leprechaun basically, yeah. uh, but he is pretty much a ripoff of the genie of the lamp in Sinbad, right? Right. But he's way more of a character, and he's way more entertaining, right? Yes, so, he rhymes every sentence. He rhymes every sentence. He like he's he's jaunty. He has like creative solutions because like you never know how he's gonna solve the problem. Right. Um, and and the way that he the way that he does things is just is is entertaining in a way that I think honestly I wouldn't be surprised if the Robin Williams genie performance had at least seen this movie. <laughs> like, had somebody somewhere who wrote the script had to have seen this movie. I. I feel like this was probably influential to, like, a lot of people. Like, um, I just feel like there's a bunch of, like, modern filmmakers who probably saw this film and were really influenced by it. Like, I, um, like, the way, I'm sure Ray Harris is more influential, but, like, I feel like there's some, um, definitely influences on, like, Army of Darkness from this film. Like, the transformation of the princess into, like, this evil... Um, person that's which is like great, crazy. which is great. Um, the the, the I, complete I like reinvent, like the 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 whole new costuming they give her, and the like, the, it's awesome. the it's oh my awesome. gosh, those contacts must have been a nightmare to wear, but like they look so cool. <laughs> they look awesome though. They totally look awesome. Um, 
I, I could go on and on about this movie, honestly. Like, the giant killing at the beginning is fucking brutal. He sickles the hell out of that giant. Yeah, it's um, amazing. I love that scene because it's so creative. And a thing that I think that really works well with this, and honestly, it's probably due to the amount of experience with these types of movies and effects the director had, um, because the set, like, the sets really react to the creatures really well, I thought. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, uh, there's that scene where, the opening scene in the mill where the, the creature's ha- fa- fingers get crushed by the, the that oh, big so stone cool. slab. That and I was like, so whoa, cool. that's so cool. And there's this, the at the end when the, the giant is, like, whacking away at their, like, hidey hole with, uh, with an anchor, which is cool. By the way, he just, like, picked up an anchor and he's just, like, wailing against it. And I thought it really interacted so well with uh, with the, the one, environments. The one exception I would say is like when the giant comes in, throws that chain, and the chain literally turns into a cartoon. Yeah, that was... <laughs> I, 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 like, I, what I, is going on? Yeah, that was that was strange. That was strange. But so do you know, like, I you know this director, but you probably don't know him by name. Um, do you no, want to hear some of the movies he's made? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear some of the, the movies he's made. What, what did he make? Okay, so... He actually won an Oscar because he was a uh, he had I think he was like a assistant camera guy on How Green Was My Valley. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one the movie that beat out <laughs> Citizen Kane at the yeah. 1941 Oscars, and like the only reason people remember that movie is because they want to shit on it because of that. Uh, but yeah, so he he won an Oscar. So this is an Oscar winning director, and he. He got pretty much, uh, th- when he started directing, he pretty much got thrown into uh, giant monster movies. But, like, sure. he directed some very famous giant monster movies, and they're, like, very different um, effects-wise. So he directed, like, The Deadly Mantis from 54. Mm-hmm. He did tw- 20 Million Miles to Earth, which is another Harryhausen one. He obviously That's, did yeah, Seventh Voyage. Um, so he, there's his experience with um, with that. But he also directed... Now, he directed these under a pseudonym, because, I mean, if you've seen the movies, you kind of understand. But he did Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Wow. And the, and the Brain from Planet Eros. <laughs> those are, like, all of those movies, plus this, plus that, the everything else he's done. Wow, hugely like, influential. He's hugely influential on sci-fi. Yeah. Like, the... I mean, now, in fairness, I think that most of the reason... Attack of the 50-Foot Woman is remembered as because of the poster, but that's still, yeah. like, it wouldn't have been... That poster wouldn't have been made if he didn't direct the movie, and it's still a famous right. movie. So sure. it's it's just it's just wild. But I think that's why um, a lot of the environments really work well. And also, I think that's probably why he directs the, like, the physical effects in camera as well too right because like they're not all stop motion there's like different effects teams doing different things and uh the the effects teams that make like the witch who like blows all that air like that hag that just like blows all the air that looks amazing which was so cool and like the the weird uh imps and goblins and donkey men that are surrounding pendragon like this is like fucking the cantina scene if star wars it's insane 100%. Every inch is covered with some fucking crazy creature with, um, you know, uh, pretty good looking like costumes. Honestly, like yeah, no, um, I like I like the costumes a lot. I, I another thing that I think 
needs to be said about the stop motion effects. So one of the one of the criticisms of Ray Harryhausen stop motion effects, and like it's hard to say criticisms, but one thing that isn't always perfect is he he's not great at the humans. Like he's like the monsters, yeah. he's like beyond reproach. Um, but the humans is where there's like a little bit of a difference because like one, you're making the big spectacle. Like, people aren't supposed to be watching The Humans, right? It's only if you're, like, really watching the movies, like, a bajillion times. But this movie does the human animation really, really well, I thought. Um, there, there are the scenes where he's, like, fighting Pendragon in his wyvern form at the end of the movie. And I think that when it... I, I hate that it actually cuts back to the superimposition of him because, like, I think it looks so much cooler when it's just the... Uh, stop motion effects version of him fighting Pendragon, who's also a stop motion effect, because that actually looks really good. And like, there's that moment where they plummet into the gr- into the water, and you actually see the like stop motion puppet like dive, like it changes its thing and does like a, a swan dive. And then when the when Cormoran, the the big giant boy, who from the beginning, um, he is carrying the princess, which is a complete uh, ripoff of like the uh, Sinbad giant, right? Oh, 100%. It's the Cyclops. It's like, it's. Yeah. I was amazed because uh, we'll get it's to that in a second. But, but uh, he's carrying the princess, and the princess, the stop motion effects on the princess look really good. I yeah, thought. they do. Yeah. Um, but go, let's go back to that scene. So, the way that that giant is introduced, and like the giant, when it's fully introduced, looks exa- It's got an extra eye and I think a few more horns on its head, but it's pretty much exactly the cyclops from seventh voyage of sinbad yeah like with the goat legs and everything yeah 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 Um, but but i love how it's introduced because it's it starts out as that creepy puppet that's in a costume and you're like oh okay so i guess this weird thing and then it just starts becoming giant it's just like whoa like it just like in the middle of night it just starts growing and just like breaks out of all of its clothes and you're like whoa what is happening and it's like that thing starts is like so scary i can't believe that like the king's like oh, clapping while she's dancing i'm like get that fucking thing <laughs> like burn that thing are you kidding me it has no strings it's just dancing by itself there's no way that's good and the dude with like fucking crazy good eyebrow game fucking bringing in this thing I don't know who you are. Just go ahead and give that present to my daughter. And they're like clapping along with this freak. Yeah. Little freak just comes out and starts dancing around. No, burn that thing. <laughs> if, I if, think if, that if, if the Annabelle doll looked like that way scarier films. Oh, a hundred percent. If the Annabelle doll started dancing with people in stop motion, like you burn <laughs> that thing so way quick. Scarier. You'd be like, what is happening? Um, but so that thing is, I think so. That's where I think the film falters a little bit is not the animation. It's the sculpting on some of the monsters is not quite as good. I don't yeah. know what it is. The eyes weird me out. Like the eyes. Some of those like um, witches like really look like um, off a little bit. You know, like if you get like a good look through the animation portion of it. Right. Um, I guess those are costumes though, right? That's not the sculpting, right? Those probably aren't claymation. Those are like people in costumes right yeah yeah so do you okay do you how uh how's your mood right now i just want to know um nothing could stop me nothing this movie has brought me very high up okay um, so you're a fan of king kong correct yes 
Now this is not this is not on this the film is not the fault of this. So don't blame the film for what I'm about to tell you. What? So King Kong? No, no, this movie. Don't blame okay. this movie for the information I'm about to tell you. So, Howard A. Anderson, who mm-hmm. was the guy who brought all he had an effects company. Yes. He pretty much won a bidding there was like a bidding war and he underbid somebody to get the role to do the effects for this movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he was trying to, you know, to get the bidding war and to get his effects team done, he had an office at RKO. Mm-hmm. He decided that he wanted to, like, do the stop motion effects within his own team. So he found all of the original King Kong and Son of Kong armatures and puppets with their original molding and everything. They were fully intact basically uh from son of kong they wouldn't have been like some of the king kong ones got like rearranged to make king Mm -hmm. kong just because of how it worked so in order to create a test reel to show edward small how good he was and how he could do this on his own with his own team they stripped those destroyed them completely what they completely ripped them apart to remake their own armatures and puppets and with new sculpts. What? Yes. Yes. And they didn't get the contract. <laughs> because they had to they had to outsource it to Project Unlimited, who was the guys who did all the time how machine they, and dinosaurs. How are they the man that did like all the effects for Star Trek, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. He's a fucking so monster. I take back any anything good I said about Arena. No, no, that was Wa Chang. Wa Chang comes into the picture, oh, okay, but okay. he's okay, okay. that. Give the credit to Wa Chang for that. Uh, but that's one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard. And can you imagine how Harryhausen felt about like if he ever heard that story? I hope he never did. That man loved King Kong more than anything else. Well, first he, of all, he probably watched this movie and was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Well, no, no, no. <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll talk about Harryhausen's relationship with one of the special some of the special effects people on this team because okay. it's not actually bad, um, but he would carry around he had one of the original armatures of King Kong and that was one of his most prized possessions. He had it up to when he died. He used to make appearances and talk about it on the King Kong Blu-ray. There's a commentary with Ray Harryhausen where he's like gushing over the effects and talking about how much he loves everything like that. And okay. And he loves it. So it would have been super depressing if he had found out that they just destroyed his love uh, of King Kong to make this movie. Howard A. Anderson is a monster. Uh, Now, another thing that is interesting is where the sculpting comes in. Because in this original test reel, they had Marcel Delgado do do the sculpting. Marcel Delgado did the original King Kong, Son of Kong, and I believe Mighty Joe Young uh, sculpting. He was a sculptor on all of those miniature. And, like, those miniatures uh, for the stop motion look amazing that were then puppeted by Willis O'Brien. And he he made it, and he designed it. And um, for whatever reason, the test footage, they, they got denied. They had to go out to Project Unlimited. But Marcel Delgado actually was hired to do a bunch of the sculpting for there's like that two-headed giant at the ending. And I'm not sure if he had anything to do with the sea creature that also fights the two-headed giant. By the way, guys, get ready for that. That was a trip. Uh, but he <laughs> I love um, the side of that thing. It's like an octopus. 
yeah. meets of seamless meets Nessie. so many questions. It's like if Nessie so many was not the puss. So many questions. It's amazing. But he he had actually designed uh, the and sculpted everything for that. But Howard A. Anderson was like, no, they denied your like Herod, Howard, for whatever reason he had them just scrap all of his designs and completely redo them. And Marcel Delgado was like pissed. He's like, what the hell? Like, I did so much work on this, and then you, like, replace them with this, and this is awful. And he hated it. And the guy who actually did most of the sculpts is the guy who is Hua Chang, who did the original Gorn suit for Star Trek episode Arena. And that guy makes a cool body, but he makes a bad head. I think we can just say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, and, and that, that's true in the Gorn, and that's true here. Because the faces are like the worst part of uh, of these things, but like it's just yeah. fascinating how many different weird steps happened with this movie. I mean, I gotta say, like with all that, like I think it's just a pretty like man. Uh, we haven't even talked about Torrent Thatcher really. Um, he's no, we have like Bella Lugosiing it up in this movie, and it's fucking great. Well, um, yeah, because even even when he transforms into the dragon, it's like the exact type of effect for Dracula turning into the bat, right? Like yeah, in yes, uh, in original yes. Dracula, it's it's just he's just awesome in this movie. Like it, it's really cheesy, but it's exactly what this movie needs, right? Like it's perfect. Um, he's so and honestly, pussy. and honestly, crazy crazy enough, I this movie you could show somebody so. You have to put a lot of qualifiers to somebody before you show them Seventh Voyage of Sinbad because of the brown face everywhere. Oh, yeah, but, sure, sure. Which, we'll talk about that in two weeks. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, you do have to put a qualifier just introducing yeah, someone course. new to it, right? Well, I mean, Where this one excusing it. There's no qualifier. It's just fucking racist. Okay. No, I just mean explaining to like the racism is gonna happen when somebody walks in the room. They need to know racism is gonna happen before it comes at them like yeah, a ton of bricks. Yeah, fair, fair. But in this movie, to, though, because it's like old Arthurian legends, it's just like the most white people shit of all time. It it works, and you well, don't have to put any qualifiers for it. You can just watch it as is. Irish people might have an issue with some. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe, but that leprechaun. <laughs> And the odd Viking, the odd Viking might get mad, but... Um... Oh my god, if you're a Viking, do not watch this film. The leprechaun straight up tells him he's fucking <laughs> evil because he's a Viking. <laughs> well, the, the leprechaun is racist. Let's just, we'll deal with the leprechaun. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he um, loves... I guess he he's, loves the, he's not even a leprechaun. Right. He, he um, loves Seventh Voyage of Sinbad for the racism I'm, reasons. I want to bring up the fact that... Um, Jared Martin has a um, lot to lot to fucking um, be called out for because um, Pendragon's communicating via Raven. And um, I think that he, Martin has a lot to fucking, um, you know, speak up about because that's clearly ripped from this movie. How many, uh, how many, how many legs on the Game of Thrones dragons? They're wyverns. Wyverns, they're wyverns. They're wyverns. wyverns. They stole Pendragon himself was in Game of Thrones, and you didn't even realize it. You didn't even realize it. Drogon Listen, was just Pendragon was that whole time. There was an after credit scene that we all missed where he just turned back into <laughs> Torn Thatcher. And yeah, it's like, what the shit happened? Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, don't yes. I look fabulous? Ride me, Khaleesi. Uh, <laughs> Jon Snow, don't I look fabulous? Um, he, uh... Oh, okay, okay. You're making those jokes, but did you know that the guy who plays Sinbad, Curran Matthews, um, was gay? No, I didn't know. That's fine. He, oh, no, no, no. I'm about to tell you a cute story. Don't act oh, like okay, I was fine. bringing it up for some weird reason. Uh, <laughs> he When he okay, okay. moved to San Francisco with his husband, and they opened up a little antique store. And he Did ran he the antique store like, until he died. That is precious. Did he that name is it, so like, precious. Sinbad's, you know, um, antiques or something? Did he bring the Sinbad I don't back? think so. No. I don't think so. You want to put that behind him? No, prob- probably. Well, apparently, like, he had a lot of pressure from, like, this was back in, like, studio system days, right? Like, there's still, like, studio had a lot of power over people. Yeah. And, like, there was yeah. a lot of pressure on him to, like, marry a woman and, like, be, oh, like, obviously you. straight for the, uh, like, for everybody watching kind of thing. But Terrible. I was just, uh, I was just really happy to hear that. I was like, oh, that's, like, a super cute story. Like, that's that cool. I agree. I will, I, you know. I'm 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 more um, making fun of um, Pendragon's like fabulousness more than assuming he's gay. I think he's pansexual, probably. Um, Pro- probably, probably. And I, although that that is like the style of the villains from that time period, right? Because yeah. there's like they are trying to like steal a a woman, but like that's like yeah. as far as their romantic interests lie. <laughs> Because they just want the crown or something. It's never out of love. He's, you're saying that Pedrag is an incel? That's the. No, no. You see that cape? He turns you see to that the dark arts to catch a woman because no one would sleep with him. Is that what you're trying to say? Nah. Pendragon's on fucking Reddit every single night. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Evil. Uh, via via the pathways of the dark arts, he's able to access the internet so he can post on fucking reddit okay you brought the ravens up we need to talk about the animals in this movie there is nothing scarier in the entire world than the scene where they put a dog and a chimp in an enclosed space (laughs) and they close that gate that one point so let's okay so you probably have not seen this movie so let me give you kind of an overview of this movie basically there's a princess and she's to be wed, so she's meeting suitors. It's her birthday. It's not really for marriage, but, you know, she's 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 getting meeting suitors and stuff and people will probably marry him for power, whatevs. And mm-hmm. at this at, at this birthday party, she's been given another a gift, Aladdin which is... Reference. Sorry? That's another Aladdin thing. They probably oh, yeah, that's that very thing. true. Um, and Pendragon gives her the creepy doll, which will haunt uh, Jason's dreams. Um, at night, uh, the doll becomes a giant and steals her away because Pendragon wants to steal her, hypnotize her, and marry her so that he can have the crown uh, for some reason. He just wants a crown. Because the, there's like a storybook opening, and in the storybook opening it said a wizard like sent him away. He got defeated by a wizard and banished, so he wants to come back and own Cornwall again. Uh, anyways, so in the process of the giant, the giant's name Cormoran, I just like the name, so I just like keep saying it. He comes across a farm on his way to get the boat and get to Pendragon's Island of Misfit, whatever the fucks. That's where our hero Jack comes in. Jack brutally butchers a fucking giant. He murders the shit out of this giant. He's like slashing at it. He 
stabs it. He, like, crushes its fingers. He throws a bunch of flour in its face, which is just rude. And just, he tries to strangle it. Like, he literally, like, gets a noose over it. And I'm just like, man, Jason, this is, like, some straight-up, like, Friday the 13th Part 3, how they try to kill Jason a bajillion times in that movie. Yeah, man. And it's, like, exactly like this. So so now, next time you watch Friday the 13th Part 3, just, you know, think of Cormoran. Poor baby. So he then beats the giant. He goes and saves the princess. Uh, and then he goes back. He gets knighted by the king because he's like, you saved the princess. Now uh, we need to make sure Pendragon can't get to her. So we're going to send her to a nunnery. So you guard her as she goes to this nunnery. Don't know why she he thinks the nuns are going to keep her safe, but... Anyway, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stories out there that nuns don't keep you safe. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't know what the hell they're thinking there because no idea um, what happens next. Clearly, nuns ain't helping you. You know? No, no, no. Because they go on a boat and they're going there to the nunnery, and the boat gets attacked by ghosts and freaking weird witches. witches that like blow wind through their mouths and completely mess up the ship they get uh they get the princess and they escape uh and then the <laughs> the pirate ship mutinies on jack and <laughs> wait, jack... wait 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 so can i can i describe the scene a little bit please um, please i first of all this scene starts with him being on this boat right and the captain coming out right this jaunty captain coming out and being like jack go take the princess up to the crow's nest and have intercourse and my son will steer the ship this fucking like <laughs> six-year-old kid who can't even see over the <laughs> is like steering this entire ship right yeah and then they run a land and they're the kids like i don't know what we hit you don't know shit because you can't see anything because you're six and then in the course of this fight these witches show up um there's a really great like uh a bunch of we already mentioned the 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 like um wind blowing that like blows the blows the freaking um crew around the deck and it just looks cool um there's this like bride skeleton that's holding these flowers that looks amazing it's terrifying oh terrifying um just uh, this guy with a pitchfork um doing crazy stuff um and and the guy with the pitchfork i think lights so the captain is like this kid's his kid's father right the pitchfork, the one with the pitchfork lights the captain on fire. Yep. Melts him on yep. the deck. And then they take the queen, the, the princess, and they fly away, right? Yep. Within three seconds, <laughs> while the son is on the ground holding his dead father and sobbing, the rest of the crew jumps up and starts laughing and dancing around. <laughs> it's like, we're going back. We're going back to London or we're going back to England. And the kids just sit there crying. They do not give a rat's ass that their captain just got melted on the deck of the ship. To no. the point they're actually laughing. And then they take the kid and him and throw... Because obviously, Jack is like, no, we're going after them so we can save the daughter of the king. Like, these dudes aren't going to go back to England and the king's going to be like, uh, so you just let them take my daughter and sailed back here? <laughs> they're, he's totally cool with that? I don't understand. Neither they do just I. Take, they take Jack and they take the kid and they throw him. <laughs> so I took the dude your daughter's in love with after he got, we let him get snatched by these witches and we threw him and, his, and, and the six-year-old kid in the ocean to drown to death. And yep. we just came back here to, um, you know, 
drink at the bar. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, that's a Game of Thrones. Talk about Game of Thrones. That's like a Game of Thrones <laughs> scenario, right? Like, all of a sudden, they're just yeah. like, oh, you know what? Queen's I think gone. I laughing as the kid's crying about their, their dad <laughs> is even a step further than what happened on Game of Thrones. Like, it's even like, they're like, oh. Was there a musical number there? Were they, like, dancing and singing as they were jumping over the dead body of the... the no, and captain? that's, like, it does, I mean, that would have been hilarious. But also, <laughs> like, when the, when the, all the witches and ghosts attack, that should have totally been a, a musical number, and they don't do it. That's what really made me mad about the musical version is that it made so much sense to put a musical, like, put a scary music there, right? Instead, where you get musical numbers is in, like, weird places. Like, there's the very final fight with Pendragon. You get the imp singing to Jack about, you can do it. You can do it. You can beat the evil wizard. You can do it. And he's like, obviously, he's rhyming. He's not just saying you can do it. But he's like, I believe in you, Jack. Hack, hack, hack. And, like, you know, getting them to, like, attack and do all this stuff. And it completely, in that scene, it complete, it's too jaunty for what's supposed to be, like, a fight for his life against a killer dragon. Um, but, in anyways, they, they just do put one I there. I want to talk about but, that scene, too, at length, but we'll get there. Of course, of course. So, he gets thrown overboard, then he is rescued by a Viking. <laughs> and the Viking has an imp slash leprechaun in his possession that can grant three wishes to somebody that it wants to grant wishes to. Which is a cool twist. I like that, because, like, genie stuff is like, there's like a weird enslavement thing that happens. And that's sort of the point, though, right? Like That, that is, that is the that point, is but I, like... I like that there there is a, an element of, like, he's, like, enslaved, but he on, he'll only help you out if he likes you. Like, I think that's cool. I thought that was a cool extra element. There's a level of consent with the imp. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. Uh, well, I don't know if it's that or, like, evil people, because, like... No, I guess no, he's no. He's saying this Viking is evil because, like, also that's how they determine that the the princess is evil because when she it, touches the bottle, it burns her the same way it does the Viking. So I, I guess think he's just saying like this Viking is probably a rapist and not a. Good <laughs> I hope not. Oh no! I mean, what is that imp scene? That's what they did. You know, he's saying he keeps saying he's hanging out with Eric the Red. Wasn't he did. He? he did say that. So there's some pillaging going on. Pillaging. There's yep. some pillaging going on. You're right. So anyways, where I wanted to get to the point where they go through a bunch of shit and and um, the Viking and the little boy are turned into animals by Pendragon. And a fucking golden retriever and a chimpanzee. And he's, yes, exactly. Around. They throw them in a cage together and like, <laughs> dude, every time that chimpanzee is on set, it's the scariest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I chimpanzees are the meanest and not intentionally but if you scare them those things are so strong those things are so strong they could have scalped Pendragon like he could have just took his whole scalp off like and you know this is what 64 or something 63 there was no way these animals were being treated well right they were probably probably beating this chip with a stick so honestly if you know, um, and I know, I know we mentioned off the other, like, this raven um, attacked a bunch of people, too, right? Oh, yeah, apparently it was a jerk. It, like, attacked someone's lip, and they had to get, like, surgery. Yeah, I don't hey, remember. Listen, you know? Yeah. I mean, probably, probably it was just treated re- terribly, so, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a COVID, which means it's a really smart bird. 
So, like, those are some of the smartest birds on the planet. I don't know if this is actually a raven or if it's a crow, but either way, it's the same family. Um, and they're really smart birds, so, like, it was probably getting revenge, you know? Hey, man, that that bird, huge fan of the original King Kong. Huge. Huge <laughs> fan of Kong and Son of Kong, and it knew. It knew what they did. Uh-huh. Yep. It just came at, like, Howard A. It was like, uh, you know, the raven for Howard A. Anderson, like... And all it said is armatures, <laughs> armatures. Son of son of Kong, nevermore. <laughs> oh, don't make me cry. Uh, um, <laughs> but that was um, terrifying. Um, yeah, the chimps ter- Like I don't understand why he just turns them into animals. That's so bizarre to me. Well, um, I guess he, all the all of his like I wonder if like that there's like a donkey dude like so like I wonder if he just like slowly turns him into weird hybrids like that's his that's is his the, uh, Dr. Moreau, kink? Is that what, I don't I don't know I don't know what I don't know what uh, turns Pendragon's I could see bolts. Pendragon in like forty years getting morbidly obese and like painting his face white and like <laughs> sitting around <laughs> like I like Doctor Moreau in that fucking yep. movie yep pretty um, much. I believe it. I, I um, you know, I, I just, with that part of it, like, I don't really understand what, like, the limitations of Pendragon's magic is. Like, he seemingly could do whatever he wants. So I think that's sort of a problem. Like, well, I, the it, only it, time he's thwarted, and he says the only time I've ever been thwarted is twice, and it's because of the Leprechaun, essentially, when Jack is able to do it. Um, I think, though, that makes him uh, very, like, threatening as a villain right yeah but I, I think he's definitely but like when you turn someone into a golden retriever you're like well, why'd you do that you could have turned but i don't think like, but i don't think he's ever terrible. like he is like he's like textbook evil villain who just wants to mess around and to be honest like those yeah. guys didn't really do anything like that chimp picked up a bottle with an imp by by the way if that you were an imp the day he does he does that's true and then They're he throws some rocks, rocks at the, the dog's throwing rocks at the giant Yep, yep. Okay, okay, yeah, they kind of do thwart his plan. But I think it's one of those, like, he's been around for, like, ages and millennia, and he doesn't know, like, he doesn't give a shit. Like, he's one of those, like, he thinks he's all-powerful and he's only been beaten once, and, you know. I think it works for his character. Like, I mean, like, obviously it's not, like, a multi-layered character or nothing, but, you know. <laughs> well, I wasn't looking for him to have, like, an emotional arc. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I was looking for him to, like, if he has that layer of level of power, like, I don't know why he'd you know that's the problem with that right you're making sort of a kids movie where he um i mean this is basically a kids movie right like oh 100 percent um and if you're gonna give him that level of that's also sort of weird about this film because it's really violent for a kids film i think too um there's a lot of blood like the creatures man those stop almost every stop motion puppet has some blood on it at some point it's really cool for like an adult but like if you're going to make Pendragon this threatening and this uh, powerful, like, why turn somebody into a chimp? Like, it just makes no sense, you know? Um, but all in all, dude, this is a fantastic movie. I think if you're a person that, like, um, likes, like, the OG Clash of the Titans, right? We, um, okay, you, you, you mentioned that. So, uh, again, we got the connective tissue of Jim Danforth, who did all the Pegasus stuff. Yep. Um, yep. And which probably was a big hand. Uh, like, I bet you Pendragon was kind of like a big, you know, step in getting the pe- Pegasus animation correct, right? Because 
yeah. Pendragon is like a flying creature that it was really animated well for a flying creature. Like it was pretty pretty impressive, and that's not yeah, he's riding on its back is super cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it very cool. Um, so I imagine that was kind of like a, a trial run there. But did you notice when the sea monster showed up? Now, I don't know if it was the exact same, like, maybe a rock formation that they filmed it at in the exact same place, but when the Kraken shows up in the original Clash of the Titans, it's almost the, like, exact yes. same entrance point. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I did, I actually take, took note of that. I was going to bring that up because um, that's sort of what where I, like, um, was my entry point, where I was, where I was getting to, like, because I thought when he threw that gold coin that's what was happening was the Kraken was coming out. Like, I was like, holy shit, is the Kraken going to come out of the ocean? Because it's sort of like the, ex- the exit of all of it is ex- filmed almost exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's It was kind of crazy. And, I mean, when the uh, two-headed beast comes across the, like, beach, it has the same exact entrance as the Cyclops in Seventh yeah. Voyage. Like, yeah. same exact, like, rock formation that it's coming out of. Like, it was uncanny. Um, now, all of that was... All of that final, like, the Kraken battle, fighting the two-headed thing with... It chokes uh, the pen- out of that. And chokes the hell out of it, man. Like, goes ham. I was like, holy shit. And the dog then jumps on it, and he, like, throws it. And it was, like, it's such an impressive fight scene. Um, but... It, 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 and that last flight with Pendragon was all done by Jim Danforth. A few years before, like the film uh, came out, when like so Jim Danforth, all of that stuff that he animated, like all those sequences, he was twenty one when when Damn. this was done, which is crazy young. Yeah. But he he was a young up and up and comer, and Ray Harryhausen just let him into his shop. Like he he started a, a, talking to him and was interested in in the craft and Ray Harryhausen invited him over and showed him how everything worked. And like people would be like, "Oh, you ripped off Harryhausen." But like Harryhausen was just like I, he, he's not hiding anything. He just he brought him to the to, like to his workshop to show him how everything worked, right? Like he wow. For, to to all like to, to all extent intents and purposes like Ray Harryhausen just seems like a great dude like all yeah. these commentaries I've listened to with him like everything I've seen I've watched documentaries on him and like nobody has a bad thing to say about this guy and like it seemed like he was really interested in mentoring this next level of effects artists just as Willis O'Brien brought him in and and helped to bring him up to snuff back in the day right so I think uh I think there's something to say about those old school effects guys and the uh, regardless of what we say about the the modeling uh the animation is amazing like the animation is really impressive in this movie I think totally agree this it it looks great like it you know and it, it does um I mean, there's moments in this film where I'd much prefer, like, I, I don't know. I, I, this sounds kind of like um, snobby or whatever, um, but I just prefer this to CG animation most of the time. Like, it, it does look a little wonky sometimes, but I think if, like, it's also very old, right? So, like, yeah. you could perfect this in a way that I think would be way cooler today and a little more expensive. That's the problem, right? But... Well, okay, but that's not true. There's no that's okay. not such that's not true at all. The okay. so the original uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, uh, for example, was a budget of I think five hundred thousand. I think 
all said and done, and made well over sixteen million. Right. Yeah, so what um what's five hundred thousand in today's money then? It, okay. So like I I don't know if that's the exact quote, but it was it was made for cheap then. Like it was okay. ch- really cheap. Because right, well, I, the, there's there's where an, one issue will come is that you don't have a modern day Ray Harryhausen, presumably, because Harryhausen would sculpt himself, he would bake the sculpture himself, he had his his dad who was a welder help make the armatures for him. So like every step of the process was this one dude spending all of his time perfecting the craft and doing it right but it 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 really would not be that much more expensive than cg um i think if you really got a a, a really talented effects team together sure. well i, I mean, mean who knows you but. do have um didn't like um jim danforth like work with rick, um rick baker and stuff like that so yeah you got rick Baker, who you know, um, obviously like his work in American World for London, like that's stop motion and one of the best transformation scenes in history, right? Um, who could sort of do the, that stuff? I think, right? Um, and and if it was still, if it was still around today, I'm sure there'd be more people stepping up to do that. You know what I mean? That's um, true. That's true. That's true. So I think, yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of a it's kind of a bummer. Jurassic one one of the things about this movie is Jurassic Park is really one of the films that uh, killed uh, stop motion animation. Not and not bad. Like it's again, I love the hell out of that original Jurassic Park, and the reason why the CG effects look so good in that is because they treated them like stop motion almost in a way. Like that's what. um, So Phil Tippett, he. Uh, he actually did a commentary for the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, which we'll be talking about in a few weeks. And he was on that commentary with Harryhausen talking about Jurassic Park, and 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 he was going to do stop motion effects for Jurassic Park. So they were going to do all of Jurassic Park stop motion, and then he got in and they showed the first sequence of CGI and what they could do, and that's where the don't you mean extinct? Like, I think you're out of the job. Don't you mean extinct line comes from is that was literally what happened on, on set when Phil Tippett saw that sequence. Like that, like somebody said, don't, aren't you out of the, aren't you out of the job now? And then he's like, don't you mean extinct? Basically like that line from dress park, the movie is about the death of stop motion, basically, uh, in, in in a long, uh, long form. Uh, but, for the credit, like they didn't, they didn't just dump Phil Tippett after that, who was the guy on board to do the stop motion. They used everything he knew about stop motion to make the CG in that movie work so good and still hold up today. Sure. And and the thing is, nowadays they don't have uh, people taking as much time with it or caring as much because you can do so much with digital. Um, so that's probably a little bit where some of the disconnect happens a bit, but I, I agree. I really, I really do love, love this stuff. And honestly, so, uh, um, there's nothing, uh, well, there's probably something, but there's very few things in life I hate more than Ready Player One. Um, but if you are Steven Spielberg and you're going to put King Kong in a movie about nostalgia, and they even include the seventh voyage of Sinbad, um, you know, Cyclops in that movie. He's in. He's yeah, in a. Po- yeah, and they do it in CG, and yeah. it's like if ever there were a time to 
you're already like ladling on um you know all of this nostalgia why wouldn't you try to represent it as it originally was but that's a whole i actually don't topic. hate that movie but yeah oh i really really hate I that know movie. You do. I know you do. Um, I I get, like, I think any criticism of that film is probably very well warranted. I just, I don't have that much vitriol for it, you know? I'm not, I, I don't have a defense of it either, really. It just doesn't, um, no, no, you know, that's fair. That's a good life to live. It's a good life. (laughs) I think the shining shots are kind of cool. That's about it. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say this film, unlike, Ready Player One is incredibly imaginative. So um, imaginative. So and imaginative. I, and I really dig it. Up, like, um, just the stuff, like, with the boots and the imp, like, that's kind of just hinted at, like, there's this whole other world where people, you know, there's this elf king and stuff like that. It's just, um, there's this weird thing about, like, I guess every, anytime somebody looks in a mirror and they're possessed by the, by Pendragon, they can... Um, they, you could see their evil side, um, yep. and if you break the mirror, they're, you know, it releases them. Honestly, um, like, I, I brought up a D&D, like, uh, you know, compendium to talk about the Wyvern earlier, but, like, that's yep. kind of what this feels like. It feels like somebody just made, like, a really cool campaign for you to play yeah. in Dungeons and Dragons. And but but in reality movies like this inspire Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like you know what I mean? Like you can see yeah. a lot of the uh DNA in mo- for uh you know the Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games when you watch movies like this because that's the kind of storytelling they built into the world they created. So it's kind of it's kind of cool. Also I'd say this movie is incredibly well paced. Like it does not stop like the pacing of this film I'm, i was never bored for more than a, a minute maybe um you know it yeah, really I, moves for a film uh, that's it, basically two hours right almost or is it just an hour and a half uh so, it's an hour and a half it's an hour and a half perfectly a perfect amount of time for a film like this and it just moves like every five minutes seemingly there's a creature on <laughs> on, yep. on uh on set and it's like it's fantastic. Like, you could not be oh, bored. Yeah. I would recommend anyone watch this film. Oh, 100%. And honestly, so for this podcast, in the last two weeks, I've watched this movie four times. <laughs> Don't, I, and like, that was like, I watched it twice with commentary because, again, that commentary is like loaded with stuff. So I had to watch it yeah. twice with commentary. Then I watched the musical version and then I watched just the normal version. And mm-hmm. I just, like, I'm not bored. Like, I bet you I could, go, I could end this podcast and just watch it again honestly like is it just a fun movie and it's just fun seeing how all of these different effects uh combine with each other and it's one of these very unique movies that has like a deluge of like practical effects with its stop motion animation which is really rare in a movie like like watch any harryhausen movie and i love ray harryhausen we're going to talk about him a lot but his movies don't feature like people in suits really right because that's not what he was doing he was doing stop motion animation and there'd be the odd portion where like maybe the puppet or would appear briefly like if they have to like move it from like there's a a scene in 20 million miles to earth where they have to pick up the venusian and put ymir into a cage and for that they had a physical puppet that they moved but i mean like guy in a suit 
like blowing air at them while they fight a bunch of pirates and kill a kid's father while the and then the father and the kid cries but um there's nothing like that in a ray harryhausen movie because it is all such a singular focus of using his practical uh sorry is using his stop motion expertise so i think that makes this movie very very unique um there's there's very few movies like it i would say yeah yeah and um I would say too, like um, we really touched on this, but like Kerwin Matthews is great in this and the seven so, gorgeous and bad. So, you know, so good. Um, I, I I meant to bring that up because I think him and the the princess, uh, the actress who plays the princess, they they do like a really good job of just being fun characters to like to experience and to yeah. watch and to spend time with. And I think that's like really hard to to do in some of these. Like you feel uh, you can feel pretty cold. Um, in terms of watching these movies, uh, so Ju- Judy Judy Meredith uh, plays. Yeah, Princess and she's Elaine. given more to do than like typical, um, you know, damsels in distress because she gets to play like the evil side. Yeah, exactly, um, so exactly. She gets like, little, yeah, and she does great on that. Like, she goes all in and has like a great time, like doing these evil cackles and everything like that. So yeah, and she does a great job at it. Um, and I don't really know her from anything else personally. Um, like I like you know, um, I, I know Kermit Matthews obviously from Sinbad, and I think he used a bunch of other stuff as well. Yeah, um, yeah, he's he's a bunch of stuff, bunch of stuff. Yeah, um, and Torrent Thatcher, I've seen in a bunch of stuff as well. well because um, you've seen classic, you've seen a bunch of classic television, right? Like he would do right. so many. Uh, roles in classic TV shows like uh, I think they're like Land of the Giants, yes. uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Seas, and a bunch of Star Trek episodes in different costumes and makeups. Right, like he's in a whole bunch of stuff. So and and our friend um, Don Benedetto, who uh, is the imp of Oh my god, <laughs> of in some crazy stuff as well. Um, crazy stuff dude crazy <laughs> stuff the fact that he's a knight of the hunter and also this movie like i want to i like need to start a film festival and do a double feature of that like <laughs> you start with knight of the hunter and then you watch the end the night with this movie and it's a don Benedetto double feature because this is a crazy like i can't believe that it... And yeah. the dude's on, like, and a like, bajillion episodes of Lassie, him... too, by the way. What's that? The dude's on a bajillion episodes of Lassie, oh, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I watched a crap ton of that show when I was a kid on Nick at Night. Um, I just, I was just looking at the, the cast. Uh, I didn't realize, because they really just only call him King, that the dude who's the king is named King Mark. <laughs> what a terrible king name. King Mark. <laughs> I guess the creativity died when they had to name the king, it's like I guess. The, they're like, king, uh, Joey. Because you've got, like, sick, you, you, like, he's surrounded by characters named, like, Garna, Sigurd, <laughs> like, all these, like, Princess Elaine, Pendragon, like, all these amazing names. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that guy, uh, that's, that's King, King Mark. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, for Ridiculous. sure, for sure. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I guess I guess that's the you know that's the you know Jack the Giant Killer. 
it's it, it's called like the first like I've heard people call it the first mockbuster of all time, which again is not really true. I mean, honestly, I would say at least from my memory, I probably Return of the Vampire is the first like true mockbuster. If I was if I was to to, to talk about what's that, that, what what what's the first mockbuster you'd say? I would say Return of the the Vampire because oh, that's okay. a movie yeah, where yeah. Bella Lugosi plays another vampire that's clearly yeah. supposed to be Dracula, but it's not yeah. named Dracula because it's made mm-hmm. by someone else. So that's that's what I I mean, and I'm sure there's like even way go way back. I'm sure there's a whole bunch, right? Like, but um, this one is just so very obvious, and uh, Seventh Voyage is such a classic movie, right? So. Uh, it had a big impact on society. So anything that was like very close to it uh, is, you know, is connected. And, you know, honestly, like this is why I do this podcast. This is the whole reason I started this podcast is for moments like this, because I had seen the poster to this movie a bajillion times, like just casually, like I've seen this poster when I've been doing research on other things. And it's got a great poster of Jack fighting the dragon. But I never really heard anyone talk about this movie. Like, and I'm really surprised because of how fast and how how fun it moves. It has this great giant monster battle. Like, basically a kaiju film happens at the end of this movie. And it's so ripe with creativity and it's, like, never boring. And it has all these elements that make, you know, Seventh Voyage so classic. You got the imp. Like, the imp alone would probably get me to watch this movie, right? Like, if I saw one clip of that guy, I'd be like, yeah, I got to watch this movie. So the reason why I'm doing this podcast is basically for an excuse to dive into these older movies and you know hopefully find some gems i also have um like something of the blood monsters what is that dumb movie that al adamson made i bought that movie as well and that's gonna not be a gem (laughs) so it's gonna be (laughs) shitty movies but the scene with like the witches on the boat like when the one with the um i know i've talked about the scene like 16 times but um i love it but I was I just wanted to come back to it really quickly because yeah. you brought up Kaiju and he's sitting up there with like the trident and I was really reminded it really felt like a Power Rangers like battle. Like, you know, that's true actually. That's that's a great like, comparison. Wow, that must have been a huge influence on you know how um you know the, I, I bet this film must have had a huge impact on um I, like that that yeah that would be that would be interesting because um, like this was this was well into the um the tokusatsu in japan like so in japan they were already mm-hmm. making movies of this ilk but yeah i know king kong had a huge influence and yeah. there is a lot of speculation that the movie gorgo had a big influence i could um, see that and Gorgo was made in the middle of the giant monster boom, right? So they had already made Godzilla. They had already made yep. Godzilla Reigns again. They'd made a few other ones, but there is a notable difference. Uh, I've heard a lot of people infer that Gorgo really influenced the movie Mothra. And then Mothra influenced everyone else, right? So um, that even if it was made during the first boom, I would not be surprised if this kind of made a splash there and, and did make an impact. Um, because even, well, even those films don't have, like, the team fighting element that, like, I really, that really, like, sparked it from me. Like, there's a bunch of monsters with powers and stuff, like, yeah. fighting a bunch of people. Like, it just really, um, it really uh, ticked that box off. I was like, wow, this feel like that one sitting up above them like kind of laughing 
Right. You know what I mean? It felt like almost like in, and honestly, Pendragon feels a lot like Rita Repulsa. Like he's yeah. Just making you know what? You know what? Honestly, honestly, would not be would not be that surprised to find out a lot of this DNA is similar. I so we watched Common uh, Rider X for for your podcast Moments in Madness. Sure. Uh, which eventually you'll hear um, if you're smart. If you're dumb, you'll never hear it. Uh, but in in that show, wait, wait, wait. We, if you're dumb, please listen to it. I need your dumb money too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, the uh, thousands of dollars you have to shell out to experience moments of madness. <laughs> yeah, but the the, the very first villain of Common uh, Rider X is a guy who looks exact has like a trident he's like neptune is the villain's name mm-hmm. and he's like from atlantis and he looks exactly like this little imp guy that we were talking about who sets the fire to the sails so that one was made in like the the 70s but i think that you know i think you probably have a point there like cool. i'm sure this was influential and 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 one of the things that always does kind of um, I mean, again, uh, not, I'm not ragging on Harryhausen for this, but he was always very vocal about not being a fan of man in suit pictures um, and kind of uh, undervaluing them a bit. Uh, but again, that's just like pride in his own craft and what he did, right? So again, sure. not a criticism, not a criticism of Harryhausen. Just he was never a fan of uh, Godzilla or Daikaiju uh, cinema or men in suits from his time period, right? Because they're kind of his competition, really. When you think about it, um, and um, people seem to have this weird uh, dichotomy where they w- people will want to make splits in fandoms everywhere. Like that's kind of how people are. People want to gatekeep. I don't know why, but there's always like, oh, you either like Ray Harryhausen or you like Godzilla, and like this movie, this movie is like the marriage of both, really. When you think about it. Yeah. Like, that monster doing the blowing attack, he looks like he's doing a Godzilla blast, really. Like, you you put some optical effects and make that blue, he's basically doing a thermonuclear blast, right? So, like, this movie just, like, combines all of these, like, disparate elements in a way that um, is, uh, is awesome. Jason, do you have anything that you want to plug? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, I have a podcast that's going to be coming out probably, start coming out probably in the next um, couple weeks as I wrap up. Um, final um, recording for Moments of Madness. Um, Andrew uh, talked about it, talking about classic television um, and social issues and where they um, intercede. So um, you can look forward to that. Um, aside from that, writing for Bloody Good Horror, doing interviews there, doing reviews. Um, I had a review, uh, a timely review of Parasite that came out uh, the other day. So, really? Not, not behind on that at all. Um, you know, you could check that out. Uh, and, uh, yes, yes, really, that actually happened. Um, Amazing. And you could follow me on Twitter if you want. I never tweet, but, you know, if you need to, to follow someone, you can. Uh, bad attitude for you on Twitter. That's it. Perfect, perfect. And if you like this podcast, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Wine Movie Nerd, or you can join our Patreon at Milkshakes and Mimosas on Patreon. Thank you, and have a great day. Goodbye. Bye.